Hi everyone and welcome to the CIO House View monthly live stream. Today is Thursday, December 7th, 2023. I'm Anthony Pastore in our studios in New York City. Thank you all for joining us for this afternoon, this, uh, this afternoon's uh, broadcast, or if you're on the West Coast or any further west in New York, good morning to you. So today, I'm joined by my CIO colleagues, Leslie Falconio and Nadia Lovell. We have lots of questions that they'll be getting from me, and then hopefully we'll get questions from you, our audience. And on the screen, there is an Ask a Question button, so you can click that and engage with us here in the studio for today's discussion. And we'll open up the question line a little bit later in our conversation. But in the meantime, I do wanna get started with some questions. And Leslie, I'm gonna start with you. So good to see you. Hi, Nadia. Um, so, you know, November certainly was a memorable month for fixed income and equities, which Nadia, I'm gonna grill you about what's going on in the equity market in a moment. But um, rates on the treasury yields, 10 year, 30 year, starting to come down a little bit. We've got a Fed meeting coming up on the 12th with a decision on the 13th. Um, what are your expectations for the Fed and how do you think that's going to play into where we see interest rates going towards the end of the year into 2024? Well, I mean, that's a great question, but let's start with really what happens really the three months prior to November, right? Fixed income had a negative total return for three consecutive months because as we saw, interest rates went from a 372 in July all the way up to a 501 in October. And that was because for, new, for a few reasons, one, Growth was greater than expected. We saw the, you know, the issuance in terms of supply being being a possible headwind, uh, quantitative tightening, and more importantly, at that point in time, they were pricing out the amount of Fed easing, right? So all that happened over a three-month period saw a large rise. That all turned in one month. It did. So when we think about what happened in November, and this is really particularly important, um, now as we see a little bit of weakness in terms of say just like the expectation of growth in the fourth quarter, 1.1, 1.2, some weakening or some loosening in labor, you know, inflation starting to come down. Now the market's saying, okay, wait a second. You know, the Fed might ease much more and sooner than what's expected. So now they're pricing at about 135 basis points of easing in 24 to 75% chance of starting in March. So it's really done about face. And as, as this has happened, sentiment and positioning shifted. Hmm. So a lot of the, you know, what we call those shorts in the market that we saw during that large rise in rates have covered and gone the other way. Hmm. So when we think about going forward, your question, Anthony, is that we have obviously non-farm tomorrow, and that'll be a key indication in terms of what the Fed will look at. We also have another inflation report before the December 13th meeting. But more importantly, and more than likely, even though growth and inflation are trending lower, the Fed is probably going to, is going to pause in December, um, it might have a little bit of what we call hawkish tone, given how much financial conditions have loosened over the past month, given how much yields are down, how, much, how well the equity market's done. But our view is that most likely in the first you know, five, six months of the year, the Fed is going to stay on hold. We're going to have that higher for longer. Yeah, and Jay Powell and the, and the Fed that we have in place now, they, they historically have sort of keep things close to the vest. He doesn't give a whole lot of clues to what might be coming, but um, every once in a while he'll throw in a word or a sentence that might change things. So it'll be interesting to see if that actually takes place next week. Thank you, Leslie. Um, Nadia, also on the equity side, we can't ignore what's been going on there. Obviously, this whole year of 2023 has been incredible for equities, particularly pushed up by that magnificent seven uh, those stocks in the S&P 500 that are tech heavy. Um, what, what do you think is driving the rally here in the last you know, 30 days? And yeah, we're up again today, and it looks like we're poised to be near uh, a yearly high at this point right now as we sit here. Yeah, absolutely, Anthony. You know, November was a very strong month, actually the strongest 
month that we have had so far this year and the best month since we've seen uh, July 2022. Um, the market had a pretty fast snapback after that 10% correction that we saw in the market from August to late October. And a couple of things really drove that. One, you had sort of this Goldilocks macro data, data coming in better than expected, the disinflation happening faster than expected, and growth remaining somewhat intact and resilient. And so what that has done is caused a rapid repricing of market expectations for monetary policy and a sharp pullback in bond yields, as you heard Leslie talked about earlier. Also, you had coming into November a market that where positioning was relatively light. You also had bearish sentiment. Sentiment was quite bearish. And so with the better macro data, what that did was shift uh, repositioning in the market. And much of that was fueled by short covering as well as, you know, systematic by rule-based investors buy-in. And so that pushed the market higher. We saw, you know, areas like tech continue to outperform. But at the same time, you did finally start to see some of those year-to-date laggers get into the party and helped push the equal-weighted index up. And that kept pace with the market-weighted index. And we hadn't seen that for much of this year. And so mm -hmm. that's quite encouraging. So Anthony, where do we go from here? That's the question, isn't that's it? That's the ultimate <laughs> question, right? I always want to know your outlook. <laughs> like, where do we go? Thanks. Um, but I mean, reality is the market has come a long way in a very short period of time, and we're seeing a continuing rally today. And so, you know, we wouldn't be surprised to see the market take a little bit of pause, you know, in the near term, and maybe a little bit of co uh, consolidation. It does feel like returns from here are likely to be a little bit more modest after this strong rally. But that said, when we look into 2024, we do think that this is a market that is going to grind higher. Why? Because we still expect economic growth. Yes, we expect growth to slow. We've had a pretty strong year, well above trend economic growth, but we still expect growth to be delivered. And the earnings recovery is starting to happen. And yeah. so we think that that's going to help fuel the market uh, higher in 2020. Well, isn't that an interesting point? We just had a chart up there. If, we can, if you don't mind pulling that up again, we're talking about earnings, and it looks like we are sort of reaching maybe a bit of an inflection yeah. point. What do you think about what like, now we're in the current quarter that we'll be then getting the readings on in a couple of weeks? But what do you think about where we are right now? Now with earnings so far, and what's your outlook as we look forward to 2024? I'm glad you use the term inflection point because that's exactly what happened in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. Finally, we're back in the black and earnings is growing again after, you know, three consecutive quarters of contraction. Companies beat expectation and they beat it in a big way. You know, we ended up seeing companies deliver 6% year over year growth in the third quarter, much better than what the consensus was looking for. The consensus was looking for flat, mm -hmm. you know, and what that also meant is that we saw record quarterly profits in the third quarter. So definitely an inflection point. Now, we did see a little bit of a trim in to the forward guidance in terms of um, fourth quarter um, earnings. And so we saw that come down a little bit. But again, nothing too concerning and you know, sort of in line with the historical trend. I mean, reality is some of the trimming had to do with some one-off items related to COVID vaccines, as well as the UAW auto strike. And earnings is still expected to grow, though, in the fourth quarter, which is what's important. And reality is you probably have some management companies that are slightly conservative just to set themselves up to beat again in the fourth quarter. So we think that that will happen, you know. But when we look into 2024, like I mentioned earlier, we still expect the economy to grow. We expect, you know, one to one and a half percent GDP growth for next year. And so that should help earnings growth in 
the 2024, we're looking for high single digits earnings growth. And reality is that's roughly in line where we're consensus is within the margin of our consensus is now at 11%. So all of that should be supportive to um, an equity markets in 2024. Thank you, Nadia. But you know, on the flip side of that, what I'm finding really interesting is, and Leslie, I'm going to ask this of you, the, 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 the publications, I'll say, just to keep, a, keep it general, they're all saying the Fed put, the Fed put. Um, and and that's, that's, a, that's a play on like put options um, and had to do with the Greenspan put back in the, I guess it was 1998. Um, but this is sort of a way that the press is saying the Fed will kind of keep things steady so that if there is a deteriorating economy, they have their at the ready, they can start lowering rates. But it doesn't feel like we're re ready for a deteriorating economy, given where we've seen economic data. You made a point about make, trying to make a reservation in the city right now. It seems almost impossible. Um, Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales are, are at record highs. What's happening here? Is the Fed put back or are they just kind of reaching for headlines if you look at the media? Well, I think, listen, when you go from zero Fed fund rate to 5.33, which is the effective Fed fund rate right, right now, the market, you know, assumes, well, if something should happen, the Fed can just move the Fed funds rate lower. They have a lot of dry powder. Um, you know, our view is that more than likely they will stay in that higher for longer camp. And what's really the point is, is that even though over the first half, things might start to slow, and the expectation is, Growth will slow. A lot of these excesses that we've seen in 2023 will start to fade, right? And they will. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you're going to have a, a hard landing, but the, the growth will fade as, as a lot of the spending comes down, as you have these lagged impacts. So we are expecting interest rates to kind of decline throughout the year, but we're not really keen on the Fed is just going to jump on the bad wagon with the first week number and be like, okay, we're going to ease. And what you think, what you really need to look at as well, which I think is really important, I know we're going to talk about this later, mm -hmm. is that the market is pricing in now a Fed fund forecast of about 3.4% over the long term. A month ago, that was 4.4. So it's come down by 100 basis points. So you really need to look at what the market is pricing in today and that deviation. And we do think it's gotten a little bit ahead of itself. Mm. It's gotten a little bit too ahead of itself in terms of the amount of easing that it's pricing in. Yeah, why do you think it came <clears> down <throat> those 100 basis points so quickly? I think two reasons. I think the question was, part of it was offsides positioning as well. I, I always ask my question, the question, why did it go to 501 so fast? That's right. That was really what surprised me. And that was only a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> At the end of October. October. That was much more. I think there was a lot of um, really people just a lack of demand people stand back versus that supply issue. And I know we'll talk about this later. Yes. I'm not saying supply is not an issue going forward, but it's not one that's going to really cause interest rates to move up unless growth is much greater. Right, and it's not as big of an issue as maybe some out, you know, outside of these walls were perhaps suggesting right. the so, supply so, issue. So, right, so now we've seen growth slow. We've seen inflation come down. We've seen payroll start to loosen a bit, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. But that's yeah. given the, the investors a little bit more comfort. But to assume that they're going to ease... Um, rapidly and sooner is a little bit too premature right now. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Leslie. Uh, so, um, you know, what's interesting is we also have to look at the energy markets and crude oil itself, Nadia, certainly has been a bit of a, like a head spinner, you know, at I'll one point it was, that. it's for certain. And at <laughs> one point it was at the peak at 95 and now it's trading somewhere in the mid 70 range. Um, we've also got a lot of geopolitical developments that are happening around the world all at the same time. So people are concerned certainly about the humanitarian side. But when you look at the energy side, it also seems to kind of play into that. So um, and plus an eventful OPEC plus meeting. There's just a lot yeah. going on there. What are your thoughts on oil, energy, the space from an investment perspective? 
Yeah, absolutely, Anthony. You know, it's been a very volatile last couple of months for oil and energy. And, you know, some had expected that the OPEC Plus um, meeting would have been a clearing event. But reality is the discord into the meeting between OPEC Plus and some African nations, uh, you know, Nigeria and Angola over production um, baselines, outputs and cuts did cause some confusion in the market, along with the lack of cohesive and aggregated announcements around the new incremental cuts uh, for um, 2024 did cause a bit of uh, confusion and lack uh, and caused some shaking some confidence in the market. There's also reality is, let's just admit it, that there is growing concern that some non-OPEC plus nations are increasing supplies, particularly at the U.S. and Brazil. In fact, we have seen record productions from the U.S. and just in the last week, there's talks about U.S. exporting um, some 6 million barrels a day. Um, so there's concerns that maybe there will be an, a global oil glut. It remains to be seen. But I will say in terms of the demand picture, now while it's always difficult to get you know, real-time data on the demand, it does seem like demand on a seasonal justice basis still remains quite strong, particularly mm -hmm. coming from emerging Asia. In fact, this week we did have um, you know, some industry reports. Remember, China this year has been quite strong, despite the fact that you might say, well, what's going on in China? The industrial data hasn't been very good. But the mobility data has been improving. And in fact, this week, you know, we've seen reports that suggest that global airline revenues will reach record level this year. So people are getting out there and traveling. I mean, that is just a reality. We even had like some of the U.S. airline companies this week point to very strong demand into the upcoming Christmas holiday. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like the demand picture still remains intact. Now, admittedly, you know, the supply coming into the market has been a little bit higher than we are had expected. And there's concerns going into 2024 whether or not OPEC Plus will have compliance and be able to deliver those planned cuts, nearly 2.2 million barrels a day in the first quarter. We think that they will. We think that OPEC Plus remains committed and Saudi Arabia remains committed to balancing the market. And so we think that the oil market will remain in deficit in the first half of the year. And that should be really supportive to prices. Now, reality is what's also happened from a financials market standpoint, you've had some systematic and momentum traders selling oil. As oil prices have come down, you have hit some key technical support levels and broken through those, and that's fuel additional selling. And so it might take some time for the financial markets to regain confidence. So there's probably going to continue to be volatility, but we think that oil can get back to above Brent oil, that is above $90 uh, next year. And that should be supportive to energy. At the end of the day, these companies are pretty strong fundamentals, good free cash flow generation, and returning some of that cash to shareholders through um, dividends and buybacks. So the most preferred view on the energy sector right now remains unchanged? Remains unchanged. We're probably going to be choppy around here, but when we think about it from an entry-level standpoint, there are still attractive opportunities among some of these companies. And so we would be looking at this as a, a entry, if you, if you don't have exposure to energy or you're not overweight energy at this point, to use that opportunity to add some to the portfolio. And we think that you can get a recovery in the first half of next Thanks, year. Thanks, Nadia. Yeah, and it's fascinating when you even talk about the travel industry. It, again, it seems like the consumer is confident. They feel healthy in the, in the, the fact that they're bringing money in, that you know, jobs obviously are strong. We'll find out more. 
tomorrow. Um, but it, it all keeps, keeps going back to consumer health and su consumer confidence. Thanks, Nadia. So, Leslie, let's get more into the detail of the supply within the, within the market. Because turning our attention to 2024, um, CIO, you recently closed some credit-related sectors within fixed income. So given, given that and where you maybe see the pockets of vulnerability going into the market in 2024 and talking about supply in the market, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, when we think about what we closed in terms of the credit allocation, I mean, we had moved to an over, what we call most preferred and preferred in May. And we did that after this whole SVB crisis came out and we had this, you know, with a lot of financial instability. And we did that as that's an add-on to our credit overall outlook. You know, recently, given how well they performed in November, you know, we, we had just really tightened up our credit exposure in terms of being neutral credit um, given where we are in the cycle and really sticking with that high quality. Now, one of the sort of drivers and headwinds of fixed income has been this year has been interest rate volatility. Now, when we head into 2024, we're assuming that one of those tails is gone, and that's a hike, right? Right now, it's safe to assume that the Fed, they might stay higher for longer, they might not ease as much, but the, the tail of a hike is, is a low probability. But that's also a pocket of vulnerability. Mm. You know, we saw, we heard Nadia talk about, you know, oil. We know, and we've seen oil prices come down, gas prices come down. Some of these pockets of vulnerability will be any kind of reflation that we see that the Fed might not be quite done. And that could be one of those, these headwinds to performance. They would also catch the market off guard. That's not our call. We think higher for longer and then an ease, but that's also a pocket of vulnerability. And when you say the Fed might not be done, you're referring to the fact that they could raise again. Raise, right, because right now people are thinking not raising, so vol should come down, right? right? So it's higher for longer, ease. Mm -hmm. That other variable is gone, wow. right? If it comes back, then that's a different story, but we just don't think it will. Yeah. The other, but the other part is in terms of supply component is that, you know, we were asked for a long time, and we, we talk about this a lot, when the Fed pauses, interest rates come down, right? 40-year history. Well, every strategist, including ourselves, the Fed paused in July. And every question was, why aren't interest rates going down? They're actually going up, right? Even after the Fed, after people felt comfortable with the pause. Mm -hmm. Part of that was because of some of these drivers, such as the supply to the marketplace. Now, we think what that'll happen in 24, there's no question. This is where the pockets of vulnerability come in, that even though our long-term outlook for uh, interest rates is about a 3.5%, um, it's not going to be a straight line down. So as we see supply come into the marketplace, the trend will be the same. The magnitude might not be different. So you're going to have these kinds of fits and starts. But overall, where we are in the cycle, we're neutral on, on credit. We take the carry and higher quality in terms of fixed income. And the drivers in 2024 are going to be yield and price appreciation. Highly unlikely it's going to come from spread compression. Yeah. And I, I'm, you know, as of the, uh, the meeting next week right now, our base case at CIO is that they will keep rates unchanged. Maybe a slightly more hawkish tone. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you're not in the business of forecasting, but would we expect that the 10-year might stay relevantly where it is now? You know, that's a really great question. And the reason is, even if, the, depending on what happens tomorrow, and, with the and, with, and inflation, next week's inflation number. Right. The hawkish tone that Powell might have in December, I'm not sure if people are going to, the market's going to react so much to that. Because I think right now they're like, you're not hiking. <laughs> yeah. So, I exactly. mean, no, seriously. So now it's, I just don't think you're going to have the reaction that you once did prior to having some of the softer data that we've had the past couple mm -hmm. weeks. Interesting. And if you try to push back last week, Powell did on the market, um, it didn't really work. Didn't work. 
Yeah, it's just sort of like, yeah, 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 whatever. So, That's kind of what he's getting we'll these days. We'll see what payroll inflation does. But otherwise than that, I don't think his hawkish tone is going to have a lot of impact. Full forcefulness in the Got country. it. Interesting. Crazy times. Crazy times. Um, by the way, before I ask the next question of Nadia, just to remind our audience, please, if you have a question for Leslie or Nadia in the room, make sure you're clicking that ask a question button on your screen. We've had a couple questions coming in, but we'll get to those in a moment. But in the meantime, please, if you have a question, feel free to send it through. Um, Nadia, you know, you can't really get away from 2023. I think when they do a recap in the textbooks a few years from now, it's going to be all about the Magnificent Seven, those tech stocks that lifted all the boats in the S&P 500 proverbially. But do you think that we're going to continue to see this kind of outperformance in stocks? I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, um, especially when you look at sort of the broader market over the next year. Or you know, do you think maybe there are interesting opportunities that investors should be keeping an eye on outside of tech and what lifted this S&P this year? No, absolutely. You know, as you said, the Magnificent Seven has dominated this year so much so that they now have their own Bloomberg index. No, <laughs> they do not. Yes, yes, yes boy. See, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> and when you look at that, when you look at the Bloomberg index, um, I mean, this uh, Magnificent Seven is up over 95% year to date. So massive outperformance. Now, of course, the question is, can they collectively and I use the word collectively on purpose, continue to outperform. It remains to be seen. But we do think that there are specific companies that are part of the Magnificent Seven that will continue to outperform. A lot of those more tilted on the tech side and a lot of those more have exposure to enterprise versus the consumer. And that sort of lead into our thinking as well in terms of like, as you know, Anthony, we are most preferred on the tech sector because we do think that fundamentals in tech continue to improve. And reality is this is a sector that does have a lot of favorable characteristic at this stage in the cycle when we talked about earlier in terms of a growing, uh, slowing um, economic um, um, period. And that's because when you think about it from a balance sheet standpoint, very strong balance sheet. These companies have high margins and expanded margins, which we saw in the third quarter, and also exposure to some of the secular trends that we've been talking about. So cybersecurity, you know, AI and cloud as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we continue to like tech here, particularly on the software side, but also we do see opportunities in semi. But I want to be very specific about that. Yeah. Uh, we are focused on end markets in, in semi. So well, so markets that are recovering, particularly when you think about PC, smartphones, and servers, we're already seeing like an inflection um, in globals um, smartphones uh, already, particularly on the Android source. So that's facing in the Android supply chain, as well as we're seeing a pickup in PCs volume. But that said, are there opportunities outside of tech as well? Absolutely, we think so. But when we think about those opportunities, it's less about sectors and really more about factor. And what factor am I talking about? Quality. Mm. We think that quality will continue to outperform. When you look at quality historically, uh, quality tends to perform well in almost every phase of the economic and business cycle. And so we think that quality in this slow and economic environment will continue to perform well. And Anthony, now that term gets thrown a lot, like what does quality mean? That's Nadia? right. 
Um, and when we speak about quality, we're talking about companies with pretty strong fundamentals. So companies that have you know good and stable margins, companies that are profitable, number one, right? Um, companies that have solid balance sheets, companies that also have, that are not highly level and have very good interest coverage ratios and uh, generating a good free cash flow and high return on invested capital. Quality, yes, it does span into tech, and there's a good portion in tech, but it's across many sectors. And just to name a few, you have high-quality companies in healthcare, industrials, and consumer. And so we think that that factor will continue to do well, and I think we think that this is an opportunity, particularly as I talked about earlier, of some of the laggers starting to catch up, to really diversify the portfolio and not seem to go out and sell the Magnificent Seven, mm -hmm. but add some of the laggers into that scenario as well that are high-quality and positioned for 2024. Thank you, Nadia. Yeah, we talked a lot this year about quality bonds with Leslie quite often, um, and now we're seeing quality stocks become a really important factor in uh, an investment portfolio. Um, all right, so let's take a, like a second for questions. Leslie, there's one here for you, and it's talking about the tips, uh, tips opportunity, the tips market, which you and I have had conversations with here in the past. But the question is talking about with oil and gas coming down so far, does that, you know, and then, of course, what might, might do to inflation overall, what does that do, if anything, to the tips market? Are there still opportunities there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we... We had felt, and we had gone with most preferred in, in tips early in the year when the real yields were really elevated, mm -hmm. right? And that's really what tips are. They're real yield, right? So we went in at about a 225. Remember, that is in, an income stream that you're earning. That's your true purchasing power, right? So that's inflation adjusted. You know, the five-year the five, year, the five year real yield right now is about a 203, 204. So the allocation is done well. But to your point, Anthony, what we're seeing in the, the market, tips market, is because of this recent large decline in oil, and in gasoline, some of the break-even inflation expectations are around five-year, ten-year, are hovering around like two percent. That's the Fed target. Yeah. Right. So the fact that they're at the Fed target already, I think, is a little bit um, premature. So we actually do still like the tips market, particularly now, because we're bullish in terms of interest rates in 2024. We think the market is overcompensating a little bit for this decline in inflation that they're seeing, and more than likely, it's, uh, this these break-evens are going to go up into the next year. So we still like particularly in the five-year. Terrific. Thanks, Leslie. Good yeah. question. Thank you, uh, audience, for that. Um, Nadia, there are two questions here uh, that uh, are for you. The first one I want to ask you is, and I'm sure you're getting this a lot these days, especially with how much growth and uh, strong performance we've seen in large caps. What about small caps? Yeah. You know, small cap just uh, in the last month or so has done um, particularly well. Again, an uh, uh, area that had lagged this year is starting to play catch up. I mean, it's for full disclosure, we are neutral across um, size, so we are neutral on small cap. But that said, if you can take a longer term view from a valuation standpoint, small cap is very cheap. And so, you know, we do think that it makes sense to, you know, add some to the portfolio again we are neutral but what 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 is keeping us somewhat on the sideline and having a more balanced view on small cap is probably because reality is yes the economy is trending towards a soft landing and so if we do see that happening that should be a positive for small cap which tends to be more economically sensitive but as leslie talked about earlier you know the market is pricing in uh, a big decline in um rate cuts for next year we're not fully on board with that. So rates are likely to remain high for a bit longer than what the market is pricing in. And, and reality is small cap do have high leverage and also a lot of exposure to floating debt, uh, about almost 
of um, uh, small cap debt is uh, floating. And so we think that the risk here is balanced. But if you can take a longer term view uh, from a valuation standpoint, small cap does do does look attractive from that standpoint. Terrific. Thanks. I, I can imagine you're probably getting that question quite a lot from our advisors and some of our clients. Thank you, Nadia. Leslie, uh, another one coming in here, and this is rightfully so, although we are seeing rates come down just a little bit on the mortgage side. But with mortgage rates where they are near very recent highs, what does that do to the agency mortgage-backed securities market? You know, listen, the, the agency mortgage-backed securities this year have underperformed a bit due to technical, not fundamental reasons. And as we've talked about this, the mortgage rate is not just about where's the 10-year Treasury yield, right? It's also about where agency MBS is. In November, we saw a tremendous amount of spread compression in agency MBS. It was, and the total return level is one of the best months they've had. But it came at about 40 basis points. So now what you've seen is the 30-year mortgage rate went from an 8% in October down to a 7% in November. Now, from what we've seen in the past three years, that's still very high. Mm -hmm. But still, our outlook going forward is more than likely the mortgage rate in 2024 will start to decline. Not to the levels that we saw that post-COVID. It's not going to solve the supply and demand imbalances that we're seeing from consumers who locked in at very low rates are going to stay there. But it should come down probably around a 6% level yeah. in 24. Yeah, certainly below like the almost 8% average that we saw just Last a, month. Yeah, recently, <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of weeks ago. So sorry for all the, the new homeowners, yeah. but maybe you'll get a refinancing chance in the next two right. years or three years. Um, we have time for one more. And Nadia, I'll ask this of you. Um, and, and kind of in the vein of the equity side, and we talked about the state of the consumer, um, and we're still obviously waiting for some important economic data. But what is the state of the consumer? Consumer from your perspective when you think about the investing side in stocks? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the consumer, and actually, you know, we're getting somewhat real time and updates. This past week, we've had um, a couple of conferences, and we're hearing very positive tones coming out of them re relating to the consumer. It's been consistent in terms of the, what we're hearing from consumer executive as well as some of the financial executive that the consumer remains resilient mm. and very, very strong. Um, cash level still remains above pre-pandemic levels. Um, the credit normalization process is happening, but you're actually now even starting to see a, 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 a balancing out of delinquency range, which is quite encouraging at this point in, in the cycle. Yes, the lower end consumer continues to feel some pressure, but no incremental deterioration was communicated this past week from some of the um, financials executive. Um, overall, I mean, when you look the last just couple of weeks, the consumer continues to spend. We had record Black Friday sales, record, you know, Cyber, Cyber Monday. Monday sales, and record traveling over the Thanksgiving holiday season. And as I noted earlier, the airlines are already saying that, you know, the Christmas holiday season should expect it to be strong. So, the, we think that the consumer will remain fairly resilient as long as the job market remains strong. And right now, all signs continues to point to that. Yes, consumers, consumer spending might slow a bit from here. I mean, reality is we had a pretty strong third quarter, but we don't expect it to fall off of a cliff. And mm -hmm. so if the consumer remains intact, that should help economic growth because at the end of the day, this is an economy that is consumer-led. Excellent. Nadia, thank you very much. Great way to end this on a positive note as we go into the heart of the holiday season. First of all, I want to wish you both a happy holiday season. Happy New Year, uh, Leslie Falconio and Nadia Lovell. I love being here with both of you. It's always, it's always great. And I walk away with a lot of new information that I didn't have before. So thank you both very much. Happy holidays. Good to see you. And thank you all for joining us for this live show. We appreciate you sending in your questions and sticking around for the last 30 minutes to hear from my incredibly 
brilliant colleagues, and thank you for doing that. And uh, by the way, you'll hear from us again in January on the 4th, January 4th. It's always the first Thursday of the month at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we'll see you after the new year. In the meantime, everybody, have a great holiday season, and we'll see you in 2024. Thanks. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.